If you enjoy being average, this may not be the show for you. This is where you can learn the skills and mindset to turn mediocrity into excellence. You're listening to Against All Average with Kyle Tolzman. What's up, everybody? I'm used to saying that this is episode 60-something or 50-something, but I'm just going to stop. There's, uh, I've had, this is my second interview of the day. I have another one this afternoon and another two tomorrow. I don't know how they're all going to stack up, so I better not say that this is episode 62 or 68 because we've got a lot of amazing guests that we're bringing to you in the next few months. And I just wanted to thank you all. In the last two weeks, our numbers have continued to go up and up in exponential form. And without you leaving your reviews and subscribing and sharing on social media, that vision does not come to fruition. So thank you, thank you to all of you out there that are looking to become someone that is away from average as far as you possibly can get, someone that's living life on their own terms and the way that they want to live it and making an amazing impact on this world. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Before we get into the episode, I'd like to thank our sponsor. It is the same amazing sponsor since we started our journey. And we always like to thank them when you need all digital all things digital look in their best color friends at Baron event. Our friends will give you the against all average treatment with an awesome new website, ticketing, custom graphics, and a full line of printing services. Fair and event, the trusted partner of the against all average podcast. You know, the drill folks, it's season three. And I only talk to one person a week. I might talk to a lot of people in a week, but you only hear one person. They're all amazing and they only get on the show if they are extremely interesting and offer unbelievable value. So we have another amazing guest for you. Genesis is a creative content writer, author, self-development advocate, visionary, inclusion and diversity enthusiast, and a firecracker, a force to be reckoned with. Genesis is a woman of color who said, enough is enough and is now bolder than ever. She is stepping outside of her comfort zone by speaking up challenging the status quo and refusing to let limitations placed on her keep her down. Genesis sees herself as a visionary and a woman who will go on to do great things that empower others to speak up for themselves and to live out their dreams, goals, and visions. Please welcome to the show, Genesis Amaris Kemp. What's up? Hey, Kyle, what's up? (laughs) (laughs) Not much, just hanging. How are you? Doing well. It's Thursday. So one more day till Friday. (laughs) There we go. There we go. I looked at my calendar and I'm like, I'm excited. The only thing that I have to like, quote unquote, have to do tomorrow, other than, of course, be a dad and uh, maybe grade a little bit is I'm going to work the uh, the football game and help with the old the little chains that they move for first downs and all that stuff. Never done it before in my life. Don't know what the hell I'm doing, but uh, I'll be out there doing my best to uh, kind of fake it until I make it type of deal and uh, try not to screw up. So uh, I'm ex- I'm excited. 
excited for this interview. Um, excited to uh, get your knowledge and, and kind of where you're kind of pivoting yourself into a, a new role for yourself. You've got a book out. You've got so much amazing stuff going on. Like, where do I even start? I don't know. What are you eager to learn about? <laughs> <laughs> the first, the first one I ask everybody is Genesis. You've got to take the listeners back into kind of how you grew up. What did it look like? The f- the furthest memories back, and we'll start to build up from your childhood till now. We'll go back and forth into business. You're an author. Um, your corporate experience and those types of things. Okay. Awesome. So I grew up in the Houston, Texas area. I am first generation American. My dad was from Curacao, so off the tip of Venezuela. And my mom is from St. Vincent and the Grenadines, so down in the Caribbean, the West Indies. I grew up um, with two older brothers and two older sisters, and I'm the baby. Um, I always tell people I'm the glue that keeps everything together because we're a blended family. Um, but, but it's really fun. Another thing that was fun growing up is having my parents come from like diverse backgrounds because two people from different sides of the world meeting at a house party, who would have thought, you know, (laughs) (laughs) right. Um, and it's just been, um, it's just been amazing just to, you know, really get to learn more about the Caribbean roots and learn more about people outside of the U.S. Even though I was born here, my, you know, my heritage traces all the way back to um, Curacao, Saba, the um, British Virgin Islands, then mixed up with the Caribbean descent and and all that cool stuff. So like whenever you meet somebody, you're like, okay, is that my cousin or who is that? And then we're all shades and colors and stuff. And it was like, I think I was in maybe middle school whenever um, my dad told me that my grandmother was half white, half black. And I was like, really? And they're like, oh yeah, her mother was from Sava. So it's just been interesting. And I was like, oh, okay. Cause you just never really like, you know, deep dive and like really unpack like stuff about your parents or about your family. Cause like, I guess in my culture, it's like, some things you just don't ask adult questions and I'm very inquisitive. So I'm, I like to ask questions and figure stuff out and, you know, connect the dots. So it makes sense to me. So, um, I had a great childhood, um, lost my little sister. Well, she was biologically my cousin in 2015, which is the hardest thing. Then recently, three months ago, my dad passed away in November last year. So that has been extremely hard because my dad and I were literally two peas in the pod, did everything together. Like if my husband didn't want to go to the mall, I could just say, Hey dad, you want to go to the mall? He'd be like, okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's awesome. Like, just different things. So, um, I just really felt, uh, close, close with my dad and you know, now that my dad has passed and my mom and I are getting closer, even though we have our differences and my parents were married, were, were still married. They've been married for 29 years up until, you know, my dad went on to a different place. And it's just been, you know, just learning, learning about, you know, life and just appreciating the things that you have because tomorrow's not promised and you really have to give people their flowers while they can bloom here on earth. Um, that's a little bit kind of about me and, you know, 
my childhood. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Thank you for sharing that. And, uh, you know, I'm always sad to hear that, a that a parent has passed. I know that's, it's probably been a, a very tough 2020 and like everybody's 2020 is extremely rough and, and rolling into 2021. Um, but, uh, I'm sorry to hear that. And it sounds like when you talk about your dad, there's so much uh, energy in your voice. I, I love it. Like talking about like, I just call him up. We'll go to the mall together. Like he was down to do anything and, and sounded extremely supportive. So, um, that's, that's always awesome to hear. And in your background of being multiracial and having a lot of different culture around you and house parties and, and those types of things sounds like a, an awesome upbringing. What about high school, college, getting into career? What do those years look like and how have you found and woven your path into what you do now? So high school was challenging for me. I was bullied in high school. I went through a really dark period of um, in my life where I went through depression a little bit, I really, you know, was listening to what other people were saying about me and that was playing into who I was. But then I tell people it was that dark season that really, you know, ignited who I was and not what people wanted me to be. So during that dark time, I, I, I fell in love with someone and people asked asked me all the time, who'd you fall in love with? And I said, I fell in love with myself. I learned to love me for me and not for what people wanted me to, to be, not what people said I couldn't do or anything like that. So like whenever you really have confidence and you believe all the things that, that you have and all the things that you're capable of, of like you're surely going to fly, but it's not until you hit rock bottom or you go through those dark seasons that you begin to, you know, reflect and things begin to like, you know, pour into you so you could pour out. And it's kind of like your period of stretching, like getting outside of that comfort zone, um, being stuck in that place where you're like reserved and you're like so many thoughts are going through your head and et cetera. And I feel like sometimes high school can be tough for people. And I've um, encountered a lot of people who, you know, they were just so busy trying to appease their peers that they were neglecting who they were created to be. They weren't tapping into their gifts. They weren't tapping into their talent. They weren't, you know, being that leader that they could be because they're so busy trying to, you know, um, follow suit and get in, in alignment with, you know, the pressures of peer pressures, the pressures of trying to fit in, the pressures of, oh, I, I want this group of people to like me and all that stuff. Whenever 10 years from now, looking back, um, some of that BS doesn't even matter. Like I didn't even go to my high school reunion because I was like, I really don't care what you're doing, what you're doing with your life, because all you're going to do is like, oh, who's okay. Who's has the best job? Who's driving what? Who, who has this many kids and stuff? It's not about a competition, but it's about the impact that you're going on to make in your life as well as other people's life and how you're changing the narrative because high school is high school. We're done with that. It's, it's time to look forward to the future and college. Um, you know, I started a, off Genesis. Here's a good one. If your best <laughs> stories are those from college, you need to get a new story. <laughs> 
Like I completely agree. You know, as a high school teacher, I, I see it all the time, right? Like people, they, they just, they turn shy because not just because, you know, they're a shy person, they'll be like so wild and outspoken and funny and using their gifts within their friend group, but they, they feel like they don't belong in the classroom. Is it, did you feel that way? Uh, no, I didn't feel that that way because I always accelerated in school. It just felt like in sometimes in the classrooms, like I felt like the odd one out because there's like in high school, there's so many cliques in there. And if you don't fit the mold of the clique, then you're like the outsider. And right. I was like, oh, why do I feel like this way? But then I had a look. OK, it's it's me. It's me. And it's them. They're projecting their insecurities on me. And I wasn't in a place where I was strong enough to, um, reflect, to reflect and deflect because it takes both. You have to reflect on the things that, that people are saying, is it true? Um, where, where do I fall in line? And then you also have to deflect and kind of shake off your haters in a sense and not let those people who aren't going anywhere in life or who are just trying to tear people down, get inside of you to where it's like crippling you from being, being the star that you were created to be and shining bright like a diamond. And, um, it definitely could play in, play in, play into you, but I'm so grateful for um, the fact that I was bullied because now I'm able to talk to other people who are being bullied to give them like tips and tricks on what to do whenever they're in that, in that circumstance. I'm able to empower other people to really, you know, soul search and look at who they want to be and not what people want them to be. And I have different tools and tricks to really help people along with their journey. And when we, before you, before I rudely interrupted you and wanted to talk about high school, um, you you started to talk a little bit about college and how that was going. And um, what we do here, it it helps me actually formulate questions as I kind of hear your background and and kind of the perspective you have and how you use that perspective in your everyday life. So talk, do go into college a little bit, talk about where you went, what you studied and some of the different things you learned along the way. So I went to the University of Houston. I started out um, with my degree, um, my undergrad being in psychology. Then I shifted my degree to supply chain and logistics and technology. And I have double minors, one in purchasing and one in organizational leadership and supervision. And what led to me shifting my degree was the fact that I started working for a Fortune 500 oil and gas company here in Texas. And they're like, hey, what are you going to do with a psychology degree working here? And I was like, "Uh, I really haven't thought about it, but I'm really passionate about, you know, going to medical school. And I was like, "Okay, well, maybe I shouldn't have said that. But (laughs) (laughs) when they they asked you your five year plan, yeah, to be out of here in two years and uh, become a doctor. (laughs) Um, But I really feel like God had other plans for me. And, you know, it was time to shift. So. I shifted my degree and now the degree that I have now is very versatile because every single industry you think of, think about needs a person in supply chain, needs someone in logistics, whether it's procurement, whether it's moving um, raw materials all the way up to the execution of final goods, all of that stuff. There's so many uh, various components that play into supply chain and logistics. 
And, you know, you could do that anywhere worldwide. And I love to travel <laughs> um, given my background. So I was like, okay, this actually worked out in my favor. <laughs> yeah, you're completely right. Everybody needs that. My dad was in logistics for Xerox printers for oh nearly 25 years i think of his career and he was working on basically the the final shipments of printers and packing trucks and you know how many of these types of printers versus how many types of those printers fit into a truck to make sure the load is as tight as possible so that we're you know we're keeping as much profit as possible so i, I know the logistics industry just through through my dad but it is every single company needs a supply chain manager to be able to, you know, and there's various stages. You can go, you know, from the very bottom, or you can only just do the final products, or you can be in the middle. Like there's so much need for that. So that is versatile, but it sounds in your voice like that wasn't your true calling. Oh, no. So I forgot to mention, um, before I actually went to the University of Houston, I actually went to acting school, believe it or not. Like I told my dad, hey, I really want to do this because it fits my personality. Like I love to, you know, talk to people. I love to like, you know, be in movies or something. And I just had this dream like, dad, I'm going to be on the big screen one day. Like I could just feel it. And, <laughs> and so... <laughs> So my mom is like very like this strict one. And my mom's like, no, no, no. You need to go to school, get a good job. All You know, all the stuff like parents tell you, even right. though, but it's coming from like a Caribbean mother. And then my dad, who was like very like open and, you know, okay, what is it? What is it, Miha? Like, what are you interested in or whatnot? He always like really just supported. And even if it wasn't something that he's like, oh, okay that's a bad idea. He would still encourage me that way I could learn my own lesson through the process. So I went to the Neil Hamill agency here in Houston, and I did get a spot to go to um, LA to audition for IMTA LA, which is the international model and talent agency. But then once I brought the slip home, it was five grand. And my, my dad, he's like, we don't have five grand right now. He's like, if they want you that bad, they would pay for you to go. Right. And I was like, seriously, I said, but dad, you already invested in this much money. Don't you want to get an ROI? So that was the end of like, you know, my acting career. And I was like really sad by it because I was like, you don't know, like the who's of who's are going to be in LA, like scouting and, you know, looking for the best talent people, whether you're, uh, whether you're in acting, whether you're, you're you want to sing, dance or whatever. I was like, this could have been the golden ticket, kind of like how people go on American Idol and stuff. And then I was like, man, I was like, man, you pretty much just mic dropped me, dad. And I was like, it was like, boom, like, like the rock. You hit touch. the X, yeah. you hit the X, hit the red button, get off the stage. Uh, and so now we, uh, you know, before my dad passed, we would look back on different stuff and just kind of laugh. And he's like, but look where you are now. Now, like, you know, you going to acting school helped you like speak in front of people without you like being nervous or anything like that. So it did help the things that you learned. They weren't in vain. And I was like, yeah, but not going to L.A. was. <laughs> oh, man. Would, would you just always jab him with that? Just always jab him just a little bit with that? Sometimes uh, it, got, it got old because he's like, OK, here she comes. <laughs> saying the same stuff over and over. Didn't we just talk about this? Um, yeah. 
Yeah, I think uh, one of the philosophies that I have, and it kind of aligns with what you're saying, is that I don't know necessarily where everything will add up to. Like I can have dreams and I can have goals, but I don't truly know because I podcasted for a hundred episodes and met all these different people. I don't know where that will end up, but I know that it's an amazing skill. I have a master's in education. I don't know what I'll be doing next year. Will I be teaching math? Will I be teaching business? Will there be teaching job? Like I, I, I just don't know. So I think it's extremely valuable that you have that experience, the, the acting and the, the psychology degree, and you have supply chain management, you have all these different things. And then you get to do, you have options. You can hop on a podcast. You could talk to a large group. Or you could write an unbelievable book. You have all these different things that you can do. You just, you never know where it'll all lead. That's that's so true, Kyle. And it's like not a full psychology degree. So I have like maybe two years under my belt that I was in the psychology program before I switched. And it's so funny that you said that you have a master's in education and you're not really sure what it's going to look like, especially in a global pandemic, because who would have thought that we would go from having face-to-face in classrooms to virtually. And then now the parents are having to intervene and help their kids. And sometimes the parents like you're looking at the stuff and you're like, what is this? This is totally different than when I learned in school. So then you're learning with your kids. And even though I don't have kids yet, my niece and nephews, whenever they have like their remote days where um, the ones who are going in face to face, they have the days where they stay home. Like sometimes I'll, you know, help them with their stuff. And I was like, okay. I was like, oh, your counting, your counting thing is different, buddy. I was like, why don't you just stack it this way? Well, that's not the way I was taught. And I was like, right. well, this is the faster way. Let, let me show you this way. Because <laughs> then they're like drawing out all the little, the circles, the squares and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, this is different. <laughs> Sometimes I look at this stuff and I'm like, why do we need to be even addressing this at five years old? Like, why do we need to try to figure out three ways to solve this math problem at five years old? It's a completely different world. And even I'm teaching middle school math. I'm not a math teacher. Don't tell anybody. I'm not a math teacher, you know, like I'm a high school business teacher. We teach some business math. Like I passed math, of course, and I, and I took it in college, but try going back to solving geometry problems in a way that you've never seen before in your freaking life and then try to teach it. So like, I understand why these parents are just like tearing their hair out and these kids, they're tearing their hair out. It's like, Mr. Tolzman, can't I, can I just solve it one way? Like I already got the answer. Why did I only get six out of 10? And I'm like, buddy, buddy, I wish I could give you two more points for that. I feel you. I feel you. It's, it's so tough. Um, as we go ahead, go ahead. No, no, sorry. I was going to ask a quick question. So since you're a bis- a high school business teacher, like how did you get thrown into math? Like, was it like, Oh, you're, this is the subject you're going to teach because no one else could teach it or. The complete answer, I don't really know. They've kind of held that. I was transferred because the online school went from 150 kids to 1,500 kids overnight because of the pandemic. And so because I can teach multiple subjects and because folks that don't know what I teach think business is math, I think they just sent me along, right? (laughs) And so um, 
also in the state of Oregon, I don't know if it's the same where you live, but there's an exemption this year because you're in a, because we're in a pandemic that teachers can teach outside of their certification. So I could theoretically be teaching um, art and I can't draw more than a stick figure. I don't understand composition, colors, pastels. Like I have no freaking idea, but I could just because they're kind of trying to, to get through the school year. But it has taught me a lot and it's allowed me time to work on different side projects. And I and I'm grateful. I can complain if I want, but like there's no reason to. I have a I have a good job. I get to work with kids. I, I just got off a tutoring call. Literally 30 minutes ago, I got off of a tutoring call where a person was almost in tears because they couldn't figure out the circumference of a track and the story problem and couldn't figure out why it's wrong. And like, whether I'm helping people with business or I'm helping people, you know, a student with math, like that's my heart's desire. That's my, that's my role in this world is to help and to make this world a little bit better each time. Like one of the questions I always try to ask myself and I ask others is like, is the world a better place because you're in it? Did you ever make anybody else's world world better because you were in it? And so I try to take that energy and that enthusiasm into a podcast or into tutoring math or into my own business or into coaching lacrosse and those types of things. So my, my days are crazy, Genesis. My days are absolutely nutty. Oh, that's amazing, though, that you shared that because I had no idea that... Um that was going on and like where you're, where you're at. But I'll have to ask my uh, sister-in-law about that. So she's actually a teacher. She teaches, I think third or fourth grade. Yeah. Cool. Um, one of the things I want to talk to you about is you've been in corporate America, America, and I can't talk on my second podcast, 15 years in corporate America. And you've seen the good sides you've seen the bad sides and you're starting to realize where we're at now needs to change. And we need to be disciplined about actually creating real change. I knew you, I know you wrote a book. I'm trying to think of the title, uh, chocolate drop in corporate America from the pit to the palace. I think there it is right on screen. Awesome. Talk a little bit about your journey in corporate America, where you feel that corporate America is extremely lacking in diversity, equity, inclusion, and like, why you, why, why are you so passionate about helping with this change? Okay. So let me just, I guess, break down my corporate America experience for the listeners. So yes, I do have 15 years in corporate America. Um, 11 and a half of those years were spent in the oil and gas and energy sector. And seven, seven and a half of those years out of the 11 were spent working for a Fortune 500 oil and gas company that is one of the big wigs. And that's whenever I really started to see the need to really do more in the inclusion and diversity space, as well as equity. Because one, I'm in Texas. Two, I was in oil and gas, which is a male dominated sector with older Caucasian males. So there's not a lot of, you know, women or whenever you do see women, there's not, there's not that many. And then if you, if you break that down further, there's not a lot of 
um, African-American or black women in the oil and gas and energy sector. So whenever you're in an industry where there's not a lot of people that don't look like you, then it's hard to really find your rightful place because you you you're often having to jump through various hoops um, for various reasons. And even though I came into the work when I uh, joined their organization back in uh, 2013, I was coming from a smaller mom and pop oil and gas company that worked for the big wig. So the Shells, the Exxons, the BPs and all of those. And I was on the other side of the spectrum doing topside level one inspections. Um, I had worked my way up. I started as an imaging clerk. Then I went on to be a project coordinator. Then I went on to be a HSC assistant. Then I went on to be a HSC um, interim manager. But it shows the progression of how I went from someone just scanning papers to working my way all the way up to a management position. And I learned a lot when I was there. I learned about topside level one inspection reports, risers, how to demold the guys offshore, how to get them set up for their drug and alcohol testing, how to get them set up for their offshore trading, um, OPIT, BOISIT, and all those good stuff. And then what is HSE? Health, safety, and environmental. And what does that look like going into the industry? How do we protect the industry and et cetera? What are the safety protocols and et cetera? What's a JSA, a job safety analysis and all that stuff. Then whenever I got my all the way up, I was like, okay, you know, now I'm capped. Like there's nowhere else I can go. Now um, my old boss had just left to go uh, to the big company that I, um, who I'm no longer with as of 214. And I was like, okay, so whenever she was here, like I was her assistant. Now that she's gone, they slotted me into her role, but now I don't have assistant. So now I'm managing a fabrication shop. I'm managing another warehouse. I'm doing it all by myself. And then you're telling me, okay, we can't hire assistant. I was like, so how am I going to be in two places at once? And if safety is really the top priority, then we're going to need some help. So needless to say, I ended up leaving that, um, that job. And I went to the fortune 500 company where I stayed for seven and a half years. And it was tough because even though I had all this experience, they didn't see the experience. They, they knew the qualifications that I had because during the interview, they're like, so tell me about this riser. How do you know our assets and stuff like that? And I was like, Oh, because I was a girl on the other side doing the reports and et cetera. But then they brought me in as an administrative assistant, which is the bottom of the total pole. So it felt like a slap in the face. And I'm like, okay. I was like, you know what, Lord, I'm going to take this as, you know, an opportunity because I don't know what can come out of it. So I just considered it, okay, it's my foot in the door to work my way up in this company. So I ended up taking the position. It was the lowest paying um, job offer in comparison to the other offers I had on the table. But the only reason why I took the job was because the name of the company and they were branded by association. And I thought about the longevity and I felt at that time I had prayed about it and he was leaning me in that direction. But at the time I was like, okay, I'm this young whippersnapper person in my twenties. I want to chase the money bags. Like, <laughs> right? like uh, Just be transparent. Cause like, I'm very transparent. Keep it and, clear. <laughs> And so when I got there, like it was, it was a struggle because I was like, you know what? They are not paying me for what I'm worth. Like I'm worth so much more, but you know, the Lord was telling me, sometimes you have to humble yourself in order to be elevated. Right. 
And so I stayed in the role as an administrative assistant for four and a half years. I met some really great people. Then I started to really learn about the company. I started to do step out activities. So not only was I making sure my base job was done, but what other activities can I do outside of my day-to-day job um, to increase exposure and really see what the company has to offer, but also partner with some of the nonprofits that the company supports. And that's when I started meeting a lot of good people. And then next thing you know, once I was telling them, hey, these are my goals and dreams. This is my aspiration. Um, Is there any feedback you can give me? Would you like to be a mentor and stuff like that? Then um, that's when I found out about tuition reimbursement. I changed my degree from psychology to supply chain. Then once I got my degree in December of 2016, (laughs) that was a... (laughs) The day I graduated was crazy because I got in a car accident. My heel broke walking across the graduation stage. It it sounds like the world was making it hard on you. But when life throws you lemons, you just got to make lemonade and keep it pushing. Um, So then after I got my degree, it was a struggle, but I kept, you know, networking with people, met a lady um, from one of the outside activities that I was doing, who was working for the company, but she was working in the chemical plant. And she's like, hey, she reached out to me out the blue one day. Hey, I'm thinking about retiring. I see you have your degree in supply chain. Let me pass your information on. I was like, okay, awesome. So I got this assignment being a raw material coordinator for polypropylene. Polypropylene is a form of plastic. I was like, I don't know one flying saucer about polypropylene or what goes into making <laughs> high grade plastics. But right. I was like, okay, Jesus, let me, let me go Send do this. Me on. <laughs> yeah. So I went there, did that role for 11 months during that time. My um, now husband had proposed to me. So um, I was supposed to be, you know, having a fun time planning my wedding, but I couldn't even be there to help my husband because I was commuting from like, one one city all the way to another city so my commute was like an hour and a half to two hours one way and then an hour and a half to two hours back so by the time I got home like all the vendors were closed so literally if my husband were to jump on this live he would tell you I planned the whole wedding (laughs) (laughs) that is crazy Um, I can't imagine I cannot imagine (laughs) Yes, except for the dress or anything like that. But he did the colors. Um, He catered the the wedding himself because my husband's a chef. And it was just so much that was going on at that time. I was like, okay, I was like, I think I need to get another role. So I went and talked to my supervisor. I said, you know what? This is creating some tension between my work and home life balance. Is there another position that you guys could find for me preferably one back in Houston where I could be close um, close to home and not doing such a long commute because I really don't want my home life to be broken up (laughs) well that's that's tough when an eight-hour day turns into a 12-hour day like that's that's just tough I mean I I lucked out early on I, I worked at a school that was an hour away but it was a beautiful drive. There was no traffic. It was just that it was that many miles to get there. It was, it was calm. I could listen to book on tape or book on CD, whatever I had at the time. And uh, it was fine. But I think that's tough is you, you do need to find that work-life balance, especially if you're required to be in office for eight to 10 hours. It's like, 
that's your whole life Monday through Friday, if it's a Monday through Friday type job. And so I'm always talking to my students and I'm always talking about anybody that's willing to listen. You've got to think lifestyle first and pay second. And it sounds like you're starting to figure that out a little bit as you're just like, man, there's no way I can go two hours to work two hours back. Like this relationship at home is not going to last. Yeah. So I tell us, and I'm learning that it took me a while to learn it because I was like, okay, I want to secure my future. I want to make this amount of money and stuff like that. But you know, money doesn't bring you happiness. Yes. It's, it's necessary to get the things that you want, but you have to think about like, what are you doing? Is it something that I'm passionate about? Is it my purpose in life? And all of those things, those take, those need to be taken into consideration and factored in to whatever you're doing in your life. Because if you do it for the money, you're going to be unhappy. But if you do it because you absolutely love it, then you're surely going to thrive in whatever you're doing. Oh, a hundred percent. So take us back, take us back to that, that situation. And as you're kind of ending those years and maybe you're writing before, but like, I want to get into your book. Like I'm ex- <laughs> that, that title is just like, what is in this thing? Like, I, I'm just excited to, to hear like, when these thoughts started to to come up and how, like, what's the progression at, at like, what point are you like, I need to help with this? Okay. So once I got um, a different assignment, I went into trade regulations and compliance, which again, I knew nothing about um, trade regulations and compliance. So it was another stretch activity. And it was during that, um, that particular role and season of my life where the book was ignited because there was just so much like piled on as well as built in from from over, you know, the start of the company up until where I am now, because even though you could see the progression in my career, there were so many things in the back end that was not fine. Like, yes, you gave me these opportunities and I'm grateful for it. Like, I don't want to be ungrateful, but you never compensated my pay. Now I have like my four year degree, even though I already had an associate's degree coming into the organization, I have a four year degree. It's in some, it's in supply chain logistics. I'm working in this particular organization that needs my degree, but now you're not giving me what I'm worth, but you hire someone else fresh out of college who has no job experience. And all of a sudden they're here, they are climbing the corporate ladder. So it's like a slap in the face. Cause I, I was like, I've done my dues. I've been with the company X amount of time. I have, you know, experience from other companies and et cetera. So then I just got that feeling of just being you know, way down and to the point of burnt out where it was no longer enjoyable to go to work. I was going because it was a means to keep a roof over our head and food on our table, but it wasn't like no longer a passionate for me. For me, I was no longer being fulfilled. I felt unappreciated. I felt, you know, like I was that token person that they hired because of the color of my skin. So about when was it? My book came out in 2020. So around 2018 is like when all of these emotions really start to set in where I really started to say what's in it for, for Genesis and let me reflect on it and let me really do some soul searching. And then in 2019, that was when chocolate drop in corporate America from the pit to the palace was really ignited. And it was ignited out of a day of frustration. When I literally, in my mind, I said another 
enough is enough. It's time to really take these thoughts out of my head and put them in my phone. So after the performance review I have with my supervisor, I said to me, it was complete BS at the time because she was a woman supervisor. What she was saying was totally contradictory to my peer reviews. I was like, okay, number one, I travel for the company. Number two, I represent the company to third party service providers as well as executives. And if you really saw me as an administrative assistant and you're paying me as an administrative assistant, most administrative assistants don't have a company credit card. Most of them don't travel and represent your company to third party service providers and executives because you guys don't feel like they're qualified to do that. So you're saying all these things I'm not, but this is all the things that you're allowing me to do. I was like, help me understand here. I was like, is it me or is it you? Like, let's, let's open Pandora's box here. And I said, because I never want to be one-sided because I truly do believe that feedback is a gift, but if you see an apple and that apple is bruised and you can't acknowledge that that apple has a bruise, then there's a problem because we could clearly see that the apple has a bruise, but you're not. <laughs> right. And so you would have these peer reviews and everything was fine until you came to the performance reviews. And so the people in charge, the, the people who are around you knew your value and worth, but the people in charge of actually making a change or helping you out financially would disregard those peer reviews or, or what did that look like? Yeah. So sometimes it would get disregarded or they would say, oh, you did really well, but you know, the ranking is very competitive. Like, and you know, not everyone is going to shake out to be a to be an A and then you would have these sidebar discussions. So what are the qualifications of someone who's an A? What are the qualifications of someone who is a top performer in the top 10%? What does that look like? And it just became like, okay, now you're kind of watching your back because the same people that are giving you these peer reviews are the ones that you're going up against in a boardroom force ranking discussion. And I was like, okay, do you really think that's going to create some transparency as well as authenticity with, you know, team play um, to create, you know, people who want to play fairly on a team. Because if someone does this, if Susie does this, Genesis does this, then Mary comes along and does this, or John does this, then everyone's kind of like trying to fight and jockey for position. When at the end of the day, we're on the same team, we're working for the same company. It should, we all have the same end goal in mind. So what really sets one person apart? Is it the step out activity? Is it, you know, them maybe sucking up to the boss or what is it? Because then you started to get in gray lines where you saw things that were just unfair against, you know, my personal morals and ethics and beliefs. And I'm like, I'm not going to compromise my integrity, my morals and my values to get ahead. Like I'm going to get ahead based on the work that I'm doing and let my work speak for itself. The other thing is I don't feel like I need to suck up to you, buy you coffee, take you to lunch and it and anything like that for you to, you know, promote me. It should be based on my skills. But sometimes I was like, I felt like people were doing unnecessary stuff in order to get recognized. It was like, let me scratch your back. I'll let me scratch your back. I'll let you scratch mine kind of thing. And yes, that's okay to an extent, but whenever you're doing things that are shady and, you know, it's just no longer like where you feel like, 
okay, this could be construed differently from someone, you know, from the outside looking in, then I personally feel like there's a problem with that. And from this is so intriguing to me because I, I don't have these, the same experience. And that's why I love having a diverse background of folks on the show. And I'm trying to search out even more to understand it, You know, even we have these same issues in the classroom as well. You know, in education and corporate America, we have all the same issues of, you know, why does one person get promoted over the other person? Why does this person get the good job and this person doesn't? What are some ways that you kind of have thought of is like if you were running that same corporation and you were one of the lead executives of one of those corporations you worked for, what needs to happen in those levels of business in the managerial level, the first level, second, like what needs to happen to make corporate America more equitable? I would definitely say we need to really talk about what exactly is inclusion, diversity, and equity, and stop using it as a check the box exercise where, because there are certain metrics that corporations have to meet. You have to hire X amount of African-Americans, X amount of Latinos, Latinas. You have to hire X amount of Asian, Asians, X amount of Pacific Islanders, X amount of, and you get the picture. And I feel like sometimes they hire X amount of numbers so they could kind of check the box. Okay, I'm showing my shareholders that we're inclusive, we're diverse, let's move on. But those people that you hire, were they the best candidate for the job or were you just hiring them to quote unquote meet your metrics and your numbers? And then when those organizations, whenever that organization gets filled up, how are you developing the people that you hire? What are your incentives to keep that person intrigued to where they want to have that longevity with the company and stay there until they, sorry. (laughs) No worries. Take your time. And stay there until they retire. And I feel like from me being in that environment, yes, we would have ERGs, which are employee resource groups, but they were, there was one for the Blacks, there was one for the Hispanics, there was one for the Asians. All that is doing is segregating a population of minorities into a space where they're talking with people that look like them. We need to bring all of those issues to the forefront in one big meeting and have a Oh, sorry, my allergies and have an ally who could really listen to what the concerns are. Listen to those concerns with no preconceived notions, with uh, with unconscious, with no um, biases and none of the strings attached, because sometimes people can just be biased just by knee jerk natural tendencies and they may not even realize it but it may be due to the product of their the environment they grew up inside and I feel like whenever I was like saying certain things it was like okay I could go to this meeting but you're still going to talk about the same thing with these same people and what what is what is driving the change what is the change going to be because it's like okay we talk about this we get a sponsor the sponsor is supposed to be inside and then once we get you know the wheel moving a little bit that sponsor moves on to another role then we're starting over with another person so like none of the messages are going far up the chain to leadership and i feel like 
okay, sometimes if leadership will just kind of take us, take a, you know, a break and a step down to really pay attention to some of the people that they have in the organization, then I think that will help influence change because the people at the top, you know, they're already up at the top, but if they don't have some type of, you know, connection with the people at the bottom of the totem pole that's doing the day-to-day interactions to make sure that their company is thriving and etc then I feel like there is a gap there where there's miscommunication misalignment things aren't really correlating and there's only so much people in the middle that have the ability to really translate the message from you know the people at the bottom the people at the top but then it becomes top heavy is this making sense yeah absolutely it, let me try to try to say it back to you if, if yeah. i'm trying to make sure that my understanding is how you're wanting it to be understood it's almost like middle management is reporting the profits and the revenue and the expenses but they're never reporting what's actually going on in the the in their diverse workforce. And so they're not actually allowing folks of different backgrounds and different knowledge and and different genders and socioeconomics and and races to act like they don't even know them. So there's no way for them to actually climb the ladder. And so when the paper comes across the desk and it's like, this person has all these things, they're just like, yeah, let's promote that person. And they really don't evaluate the, the holistic person. Exactly. Or the person that gets promoted may not be the best candidate for the job, but they get it because they're friends with, you know, two bosses up the up the corporate ladder and that boss flashes for them or that boss, you know, you know, went to the same alma mater as them. So then it's like, oh, I'm, I'm hiring this person because, you know, I can relate. We both went to U of H or we both went to Clemson or LSU. Yeah, go Tigers. And then. <laughs> Whenever, whenever that person, whenever that person gets there, you're like, do you even know what you're doing? Like, but you know, they got there, you know, based on who they know and who knows them and it works, but sometimes it doesn't always work. So we really have to take that onion and really peel back those layers. So whenever you talk about going back to inclusion and diversity, as well as equity, diversity is making sure you have a wide range of people from diverse cultural backgrounds, ethnicities, cultures, and et cetera. Inclusion is making sure those people who are diverse feel included, making sure they feel like they're seen and they're heard. And equity is, is everyone being treated fairly, no matter their sexual orientation, no matter their background, no matter if they have physical disabilities or invisible disabilities, no matter if they are a working mother who is repatriating back into the organization and et cetera. There's so many different layers of what inclusivity looks like, but if we're not willing to go the extra mile and really unpack those things to help the people who make our company great and help us make those profit shares, then I feel like we are losing out because those people are going to reach a period where they're burnt out and they're going to mentally check out. And once they're mentally checked out, they're already shopping online for their next great opportunity and they're making their exit strategy. 
because they worked for a company for so long who never really understood them or appreciated what they had to offer because they were so stuck in a role for X amount of time. You know, they were doing all the work, but what was in it for them? And it has to go both ways. The company wants a return on their on their investment, but so does the employee. The employee wants to, you know, get bonuses or, you know, get a get a pay increase, you know, get salary treatments and et cetera. And if they never get any of those things, then it's just a win win for the company, but nothing for the employee. A hundred percent. Such a it's such a mind blowing and interesting issue. And I think the we just don't even understand the scope of what's happening unless you're in all of these corporations and you speak to those folks that have, that have been passed up for promotions have been, you know, working their whole life in a certain corporation and keep getting passed up and keep getting passed up. So I thank you for bringing these problems to light. I thank you for, for coming on the podcast and educating our listeners, writing your book. I hope you're going to be booking some stages soon in corporate America to talk about how to run corporations the right way. I would definitely love to do that. And I guess that's why I've been doing like a lot of podcasting and really just getting to meet different people in a space because I do value like, you know, the transparent conversations, because whenever someone like yourself who's coming from an education education space and background, and I'm coming from corporate America, even though it's two different, um, sectors, we, there are different, there are differences and there are a lot of similarities where we could really unpack and, you know, have that, um, that cross interference and really talk about it and et cetera. So before we go, I just definitely want to ask you like two questions that I have on the back of my book. And I want you to really, you know, think about them when I ask the questions and tell me how they relate relate to you being in the education space and how you could how you could articulate that with inclusion diversity as well as equity so the first question on the back of the book what challenges in the workplace have you encountered that left you feeling as if you were mistreated that's question one you gonna throw two of them at me or do i get a chance to answer number one first uh, whichever one you want to do it. You're the host. <laughs> yeah, let's let's go number one. I, I think when you don't fully understand and attempt attempt to understand your employees is like the number one way where where people can get swept under the rug. And if we if we put race and sex and sexual orientation and gender aside, I think that's the fundamental piece. If you don't create a structure to fully understand your employees and where they come from and create that transparency to be able to talk about these difficult issues, that's where you're going to lose. Yes, I love it because, oh my gosh, I just love that answer because I could totally relate. Um, Thank you, Kyle. The second question, have others who were unqualified seemingly pass you by in the ranks? 
I think I, I don't see it as necessarily passing me by in the ranks as far as pay or job, but I see it as passed up opportunities sometimes where management doesn't understand that I can be extroverted or introverted depending on if I feel supported or not. And so somebody who's more extroverted that maybe doesn't have the qualifications I have or the knowledge or the skill will pass me up. And so it all comes back into our discussion of, of race and equity because equity is more than race. Equity is more than gender. It's about creating equity across the board in your organization so that people are excited to come to work each day and put in those hours and to honestly know each employee, not just the employees who you mesh with, who you look like, who it's easy to talk to them. It's understanding everybody at all levels of your corporation, business, school, for students, the F students, the D students, the C students. I, you can't just talk to the A students. And so when you're, when you, when I look at that question, kind of big picture of people passing me by, it's like, yeah, I feel like some people have had other opportunities than me, but for me, it, it hasn't been because of the, the color of my skin. And that's where I, uh, that's where I can listen and I can say that I sort of understand, but I will never completely understand because I continue to put on these shoes each and every day, no matter how much I listen, no matter how much I read, I still have, I still look like this, like I, and I haven't been, um, you know, treated poorly because of this, the color of my skin. Yeah, thank you so much, um, Kyle, for sharing that and really just being being transparent. And I love the way that you took it. And you took the question and you had a holistic approach with it. And the fact that you do understand that it's not just about race and equity involves all of us. And that is like one of the missions of the book is to really promote inclusion, diversity, but letting people know that it starts with each one of us coming together. And if you think about it, why are people different? Is it the way they look, the color of their, the color of their color of their hair and et cetera. But you have to think about it this way. Don't we all bleed red? Don't we all have the same organs? Like, let's get back to being humans. Like, let's separate, let's stop separating things that are making us different and let's start coming together. So I just love the way that you really answered the questions. And I love your spin and how you thought about it, how you articulated your response, because that is exactly what I want people to do whenever they pick up the book. Don't let the name of the book, Chocolate Drop in corporate America deteriorate you from picking up the copy, but really take a look at the cover and for a, for a moment and really just see how does the cover speak to you? Do you not see the world in the background to let you know that, you know, the world represents that things don't just happen in America, but they happen worldwide. And there's people on the book cover from all professions as well as all ethnicities and et cetera to let let people know that when we stand together like we can thrive together but if we're divided then you know no good is going to come of that so 
the last thing I put on my book to encourage people at the back is let's work together to create change for future generations to come. Cause it's not just about Kyle. It's not just about Genesis, but it's about what are we doing to change the narrative and impact lives and create that evolution for other people. That's so awesome. I will have to check out that book and listeners, you can check out that book as well. Genesis, where can people find you and your projects that you're working on? I'm on Facebook as Genesis. That's G-E-N-E-S-I-S Amaris, A-M-A-R-I-S, last name Kemp, K-E-M-P. You can reach me via email at genesisamariskemp at gmail.com. I'm also on Instagram as genesisamariskemp. And I do have an author author slash blog page on Facebook as Chocolate Drop in Corporate America. And I just really want to thank you so much, Kyle, for having me on your show. And to all the listeners out there, I hope this really touches you. And if you're interested in getting to know more about me, I am just an email away. Don't be a stranger. Some of your some of our best friends for once strangers. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. And I'll put that stuff in the show notes, folks. So if you're listening to this, Check out the show notes if you want to um, speak with Genesis about any of this, any uh, liner up as a speaker, maybe for your business. I think she would uh, absolutely love to have something come of this podcast, like having her speak uh, in your classroom, maybe, or at your corporation, small business, medium-sized business. As you can hear, she's an absolute wealth of knowledge. But before I let her go, I've got to ask her the toughest question of the day. And that is, what makes you against all average, Genesis? What makes Genesis against all average is, you know, not letting no's you know, keep me down. When I hear no now, I think about new opening or... Yeah, new opening or next opportunity, because sometimes I feel like when I heard no's in the past, it was discouraging. But now I just flip the script and I take those discouraging no's that were once in the past and I flip them to make them work in my favor to be positive. And what helps me working against all odds is whenever I see the young offsprings coming up in my family and those um, children, they warm my my heart and they push me to be more because, you know, they are our future generation. So if I could be better in my space and know that I'm touching one life, then I've done my part because you don't know who that person is going to go on to touch an impact. Man, there's so much gold dropped in this episode about how to run a corporation the right way. Genesis, thank you so much for being here and dropping those nuggets to all of the listeners. In order to grow the Against All Average podcast, we need your help. Like I said before, hit that subscribe button button. Follow us at Against All Average on Facebook or Instagram. Or if you just want to see pictures of my pets and my kids, you can follow me at Kyle Tolsman on Instagram, Facebook, etc. And you might even want to check out the Against All Average Army. What the heck is that? I might have to talk about it in another episode. Another big shout out to this episode sponsor, Fair and Event at fairandevent.com. And with that, we thank you for listening to the Against All Average podcast with a Genesis Amaris Kemp dropping knowledge just when you needed it. We'll see you next time. Thank you.
This has been Against All Average. Subscribe, share, rate, and review at AgainstAllAverage.com.